Well, amen. Thank you so very much for that very wonderful time of praise to gather. Thank you, Julie, for leading and praise team members for leading us this morning. I asked Ellen yesterday if uh, she believes that the following incident is true or is it a far-fetched story. And then I said, tell me why. So here it is. A man came home one day to discover a well-dressed woman sitting inside his house on the stairwell. And she said to him that while she was walking along, she had been frightened by a very fierce dog. She almost fainted. And so she sought refuge in the first house she could find, and she apologized that it was his house. Well, he went and got some refreshments for her, and when she composed herself, she finally thanked him for his hospitality, and uh, then she left. Later that night, his wife noticed her gold watch was missing. It was normally at the head of the bed, but it was missing. And it became clear, this woman stole it. So she was not only a thief, she was a very good liar as well. And this man, I'm sure, could have kicked himself for bringing her refreshments and aiding her escape. But then fast forward 15 years later, There's a knock on the door. When the door is opened, here's a mail delivery man with a package. The package is opened. There's the gold watch. There's a note inside in a female's handwriting. It was the woman who stole the watch, and here's what she said. The gospel had changed her heart. And because the gospel had changed her heart, She desired to return the watch to its rightful owner. Now I said to Ellen, and I say that to you as well, is that a true story or a far-fetched tale? Ellen said, it's a true story, which it is. I said, why do you say that? You know what she said? Can't the gospel do that? Isn't that a classic answer? Ellen comes up with some good ones. I want you to understand. The gospel can change hearts. And that's why the gospel is the most valuable treasure that we have. It is the most essential and important thing that we as believers have. There was a pastor by the name of William Gilroy. He said this, The glorious gospel of the grace of God is the profound heritage of the church in its ministry to a lost world. And all of God's people said, Amen. But here's the question. Here's the question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? No greater question could be asked. Getting that right is absolutely critical. And as we've begun this series in the book of Romans, guess where Paul begins? 
He begins with his question. Here in his greatest letter that has ever been written, the greatest question that could ever be asked is the question he starts with, what is the gospel? And this morning I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to follow the Apostle Paul in the opening six verses as he gives us the answer to this very critical question. Let's take a moment and pray together and then we'll see what God has for us. Lord, we are the recipients of the gospel. We're here today for one reason and really one reason only and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed our hearts. And we know that it is the power of God unto salvation. And as we heard Jason share and Steve in the earlier service, what a privilege it is to share the gospel with people who need it. Now, Lord, give us great insight. Help us to see it in a fresh way that will thrill our hearts. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Follow along in this opening verse as I read. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now let's stop right there. Here's the first thing we need to understand about the gospel. The gospel is from an unquestioned source. It is from God Himself. This is the longest, most detailed introduction that Paul gives to all of his 13 letters. It is one long sentence from verse 1 all the way down to verse 7 that is a very detailed and intricate sentence. And right from the very beginning, what Paul wants you and me to understand is this gospel I'm going to lay out in 16 chapters in Romans It is the gospel of God. It is from God Himself. A man by the name of George Owen said this, The world has many religions, but it has only one gospel. Amen this morning? The world has many religions, but it has only one gospel. And that's exactly Paul's point. There are many, many religions. He knew all about them, but he says there's only one true gospel. It is the gospel revealed in Romans that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Now, why should we believe Paul? Why do you believe Paul? What Paul is saying here to us is all other religions are wrong, The gospel alone is right. By the way, is that a very welcome message in today's world? No, it is not. And so why should we believe that what he's giving to us is the gospel of God? And what he tells us in the opening verse is, because God who gave the gospel also gave the messengers of the gospel as well. They were not the originators of the gospel, but simply those who received it from God himself. Now we need to understand something here. The Apostle Paul was not the founder of the Roman church. He was not the father of that church. He had never visited them as a church. And then in addition, this is what we know. People were skeptical of Paul. 
They said, Paul, you are not one of the original twelve disciples. Why in the world should we listen to you? You didn't follow Jesus for three and a half years like the other twelve did. But I want you to notice what Paul says. What he says here, he said elsewhere in other places in the New Testament. For example, look what he says in Galatians 1.1. Let's read it together. Join me. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Obviously, he's talking here about his conversion on the Damascus Road. As he was on his way to Damascus, the Lord Jesus, exalted and risen, uh, met Paul. And he not only saved Paul, but he commissioned him to be a preacher of this gospel. And that's what he's saying here. Now, I want you to notice in verse 1 of Romans 1, he makes the very same points. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That word servant was used of an office held by outstanding persons in the Old Testament. Go back and read your Old Testament. Moses was a servant. Joshua was a servant. Abraham was a servant. David was a servant. And it is a word that means service to a greater authority. Paul says, I'm in that tradition. Then notice he was called. Prophets were called, weren't they? Isaiah was called. Jeremiah was called. Amos was called. And the call always extended from God's gracious will. Then he says here, I'm an apostle. That meant sent one. Sent by a greater authority. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? As the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. And Paul says, that's what happened to me. I was called by Jesus. And then He sent me. And then notice what He says. I'm set apart for the gospel of God. What He's saying? I'm a gospel man. I'm all about the gospel. And the word set apart is so interesting. It is the same root for the word Pharisee. What was Paul before he became a Christian? What was he? Pharisee. They were the separated ones. They were the ones doing it right and following God in the right way. But when Paul met Jesus Christ, revealing Himself from heaven, he just turned away from all of that. And he became a different separated one, separated to the gospel of God. So now he says to us, listen, what I'm sharing with you is God's gospel, and I want you to believe it. By the way, right away we're confronted with a choice, aren't we? And isn't that true about the gospel? The gospel always confronts us with a choice. We can't remain neutral. We've got to say, this is true, this came from God, or it is not. We are confronted with a choice. 
Do we believe Paul or do we not? It's very interesting. This week, somebody sent me a link in the uh, email to a brand new book that Pastor John Piper has written, and the link was very helpful. Not all email links sent to me are always helpful. But this one was. And here's the new book that he's written. Why I Love the Apostle Paul. And he wrote an article that is posted on the website just two days ago in which he says, liar, lunatic, or reliable, why I love the Apostle Paul. And here's what he says. We are confronted with the Apostle Paul with the same choice that C.S. Lewis said we're confronted with Jesus. C.S. Lewis said there's only three options for Jesus. Either he's a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And said, Lewis, don't come and give me this patronizing nonsense that Jesus is a great teacher because great teachers do not make the claims that Jesus made unless they are really true, right? And so Jesus, said Lewis, is one of three things. Either he's a great big liar or he's a, a, a lunatic, a crazy man Or he's the Lord, but don't give us this nonsense that he's just a great moral teacher. Well, now, says Pastor Piper, you've got to make the same decision about Paul. Same, same thing. Listen to what he says. Paul was either a fraud who knew his message was untrue, but used religion for some ulterior reason. So he was a liar. Or he was deluded on a par with a lunatic, a crazy man, or, number three, he was an authorized and truthful spokesperson for the risen Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, which answer do you think Pastor Piper comes to? He says, here's the short answer. I cannot, with any sincerity, consider Paul a liar or a lunatic. I cannot see him as a deceiver or deceived. He has won my trust. And everybody said, we all have to make the same decision. The gospel calls for a decision. Paul is either who he says he is, or he is one of the greatest frauds in history, or he's absolute nuts. And if that is the case, Romans is not the greatest letter that has ever been written, but it is the greatest nonsense that has ever been concocted. And you say to me this morning, Pastor, if a liar doesn't make sense for Paul, if a crazy man is even more silly then this is God's gospel. This is God's gospel. Now I want you to notice that Paul tells us the second thing about the gospel, and this is so wonderful. Look at it. Number two, the gospel is about the unique Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read verses 2 through 4 for you. And I want to ask you this question. Are these things said about any other great religious leader in history? Let me read it for you. The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, 
who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. How many of you think that was ever said about any other great religious leader? Has that been said about Muhammad? Said about Buddha? Said about Confucius? about this one? Has any of this ever been said about Moses? Abraham? What's the answer? The answer is no. No. Jesus is the most unique figure in all of history. All that is said here is unique to Him. Now, let's just simplify it here this morning because this is what Paul is teaching us about the uniqueness of Jesus. If you are here today and you say, well, there's lots of little options out there, there's different religions, who are we to say that there's only one way? Look at this. Jesus is unique in prophecy, he's unique as a person. And he is unique in his exalted position. Now let's look at the first one because it leads to the other two in a way that I have never seen before. It's an amazing thing what you can learn as you study the Bible for your sermons. Okay, Notice this, verse 2. This gospel was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now one of the charges that was made against the gospel was it does away with the Old Testament. It destroys Judaism. But the New Testament says this, Jesus didn't destroy the Old Testament, he fulfilled the Old Testament. Do you know, I never saw this until recently, But the major summaries of the gospel always include this point. If you would have come to me a few years earlier and said to me, Pastor Brian, does fulfilled prophecy belong in the gospel? Is that an integral part of the gospel? I would have said, well, no, that is a witness to the gospel. But every time there's a major summary, Acts 10, 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 1, this is always included in the gospel that it is according to the Old Testament prophets. So, Jesus fulfilled God's promises. Now, I want you to understand how powerful this is. If Jesus fulfilled God's promises... Jesus, then, is the key that says we can trust God. And if that's true, we can accept the gospel because it tells us that God is a God who proves what He does and fulfills His promises. So Jesus fulfilled God's promises, therefore we can accept the gospel because God has proven that He does what He promises. Now, let's look at the second one. He is unique as a person. Look at verse 3. Concerning His Son who was descended from David 
according to the flesh. Now look at what we see. Jesus is one person, later called in verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord. But he has two natures. He's the Son of God, which means he has the same nature as God the Father. So clearly Jesus preexisted his birth as God. But then the second thing that is said in verse 3 is he descended, that is, he was born from David according to the flesh. So he was born as a human. So look what's being said. The gospel is about one person so unique that he has two natures, divine and human. Let me ask you this morning, is this taught in the Old Testament? Does the Old Testament teach us that the Messiah who would come was going to be both a human and a divine person in one person? Let me share a passage with you that you all know. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. I have never seen this association before. Let's read it together and then see it in all of its wonder. Read it with me. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will Perform this. Look what is being said here. Not long ago, I was listening to Ben Shapiro, who is a very brilliant political commentator. He's an Orthodox Jew. And if you listen to him, you'll notice that he wears his little Jewish skullcap as he's talking about politics because he is orthodox in his Judaism. But one day he said this in an interview. He said, I do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, because Judaism says that any person could be the Messiah. Judaism teaches that the Messiah will just be an ordinary person, not a godlike figure, and so any man could be the Messiah, just a political leader. But I want you to notice this. Look very carefully. Why is a son given? Because a pre-existent son of God cannot be born. That's why he's called mighty God. Because only God could pre-exist his birth and therefore he has to be given because a pre-existent person could not be born. But then notice what it says about this same person. That a child is born. And we all know, how does a child, a human child, come into the world? He is born. So here we have in Isaiah 9, 6, 
long before Paul ever shared his gospel with us in Romans 1 that there would be one person, he would be a pre-existent person who would be mighty God, but he would also be born because he would have a human nature. Therefore, he would be God and man in one person. That is the exact message of Romans 1 verse 3. Dear friends, I have never seen these two parallels before. This is the first time. By the way, isn't it wonderful what studying the Bible for your sermons will do for you? Isn't that wonderful? But then look at this third point that Paul makes. Paul tells us in verse 4 that he will be unique as an exalted position. Now look, look. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says that this unique person will come and he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Say, a king by birth has to be coronated, right? If you're born into a kingly line, you still have to be coronated. Now, here's my question to you. When was Jesus crowned? When was he coronated? Follow this. Follow this. Look at verse 4. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Let me tell you what happened in the Old Testament when a king was coronated. He was given the title son on the day he was crowned. God said, I will be a father to you and you will be a son to me. He was anointed with oil symbolizing that the Holy Spirit would come upon him, giving him great power, and he would reign over Israel with God's power. This is why the Bible says about King David that he succeeded at wherever he went because God was with him. Now follow this. Follow this. All of that is here in verse 4. All of that is here in verse 4. At the resurrection, He was raised in power. The Holy Spirit called here, the Spirit of holiness was involved. And He has now taken His seat as Lord of lords and King of kings. And Jesus now is just waiting to come and take His earthly throne. But as Isaiah says, He has already been coronated. He has already in heaven taken His place as the King of Israel and all the world. And I want you to notice how Paul at another place said this very thing when he was preaching to the Jewish people of his day. Look what he said in Acts 13, 32 and 33. And we bring you the good news. By the way, what does the word good news mean? Gospel, right? We bring you the gospel. 
that what God promised to the fathers in the Old Testament, this He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. Would you read it with me? You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. When was the coronation of Jesus as King? It was at the resurrection. Jesus was an eternal Son. But at the resurrection, He became King's Son. He has been coronated, and all we are doing is waiting for Him to come from His place of coronation to take His seat on the throne and rule and reign on this earth. Nobody else is that ever said about. Forty years ago, I went to Urbana 79. And there in Urbana 79, I heard John Stott, one of the great Bible teachers of the day, preaching on Romans. And for three days, I sat there and listened to him preach the first five chapters of Romans. By the way, there was another speaker there at Urbana 79, and he wasn't quite as effective as John Stott. His name was Billy Graham. What a treasure that was. I still have my notes from John Stott. And I want you to notice what he said on another occasion. Christians cannot surrender either the finality or the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. There is simply nobody else like Him. His incarnation, atonement, and resurrection have no parallels. In consequence, He is the one and only mediator between God and the human race. What do we say about that this morning? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the last part of the gospel is this. It's about a universal offer. Look at verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And notice this universal offer. Gentiles means ethnic groups. It's offered to every ethnic group. No matter where you go, the need is always the same. It's for the gospel. It's offered to resolve our deepest problem, which is sin and disobedience, because the gospel brings about the obedience of faith. That is, once we come to really know Jesus, our hearts are changed, and before we wanted to sin and disobey, now we want to obey. And it's offered so that all may belong to Jesus. 
This past week, as I was preparing for this message, I read about a missionary who many, many years ago went to the Fiji Islands before the Fiji Islands had been evangelized and the gospel had been brought there. And he said this was his very first duty when he arrived on the island. By the way, what do you think would be the very first duty of a missionary in a place where the gospel had never been proclaimed? What do you think that would be? Listen to what this missionary said. He said, the very first thing I had to do was bury the hands, arms, feet, and heads of 80 victims whose bodies had been roasted and eaten at a cannibal feast. Can you imagine that? Here I am a missionary, sent out with the gospel of Christ. I arrive at the Fiji Islands, and the first thing I have to do is pick up all these hands, feet, heads, from 80 people who had been roasted and eaten by cannibals. And I had to bury their remains. But then the missionary went on and listened carefully to what he said. I lived to see those very cannibals who had taken part in that inhumane feast gathered around the Lord's table. Does that surprise you? That the gospel can do that? Commenting on what that missionary said, Disciple Magazine said such a miracle could be performed by no one but Jesus Christ. We all say to that. Jesus came, and those that used to eat each other now loved each other. The same cause always has the same effects. Always the gospel changes hearts. Aren't we kind of back to what Ellen said at the very beginning? I'll say it for her. Can't the gospel do that? Can't the gospel do that? And the answer is yes, it can. Yes, it can. The gospel comes from an unquestioned source, God. It is about the unique Lord Jesus Christ, prophesied in the Old Testament, unique as a person, God and man, exalted to the highest place, already reigning as king. And it's offered to everyone who will believe. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Just before we close with the final song, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you take just a moment in your heart and express to the Lord your sense of awe, and wonder and thanksgiving 
I could not help doing all those things this week. As I learned afresh from Romans that I belong to this Savior. And the awe and wonder and thanksgiving was a wonderful part of my sermon preparation. And maybe you're here today and and you're not sure exactly where you stand with the Lord. Have you believed on Him? He has made this so clear, so plain. You have to make a decision. You cannot be neutral. And this very day, this very moment, you can repent and turn to Christ. Throw yourself on His mercy. Trust Him as the God-man who died and rose for you. And you will belong to Him. And He will change your life. Would you come to Him today? Make no delay in your heart. This very moment. Lord Jesus, we worship You. We love You. We rejoice in You. We follow You. We believe You. We obey You. We rest in Your wonderful grace. We exalt in Your forgiveness. Your plan for our lives. Our names written down in heaven. Our inheritance waiting for us. The glorious return of our King. How we worship and thank you today. For your sake. Amen.